Welcome to Athletes to Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder of Alumni Direct, and we've created the premier platform for alumni worldwide to help them to spark connections in their affinity relationships. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to create different content and shows to help out alumni wherever we can. And this show is, is one of the new ones that we've come up with is uh, we want to inspire and teach and help athletes in their journey when they finish up the, their uh, athletic careers and go on to entrepreneurship or other areas of their career. Today, we're really excited uh, to have uh, former Major League Baseball player Shea Hillebrand with us. Shea, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be able to share. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Just a couple of highlights, uh, kind of 30,000 foot uh, level, uh, talking to Shea before. Very interesting guy. Uh, he was a Major League Baseball player for seven years. Uh, now he uh, devotes his time. He's, he's creating resources for former athletes. Uh, he's got one uh, foundation called Against All Odds. Uh, he dabbles in investment real estate, but more so on teaching and educating people. It, it's, it's very interesting uh, to hear these stories. And um, later on, Shay will kind of get a little more into that. But, um, you know, like I said, we're going to do kind of fun conversation. Um, the first question I have for you is just um, tell me about your journey uh, playing sports um, in, in youth, your youth sports, and kind of where it took you to, uh, you know, to college and then ultimately professional sports? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a guy that, you know, I'm a two-time MLB All-Star. I made tens of millions of dollars and uh, I have an Emmy award-winning story and I actually own the zoo. So I guarantee you I'll be your first guest and only guest that has owned a zoo that's a former professional athlete. So I left wow. in the prime of my career and I jumped ship and pursued my second childhood dream. So, uh, but, but I've been a top performer pretty much my whole life, but it didn't start that way. So my, my story starts pretty much at 14 years old, like so many other people out there that don't really realize the defining moments in their life that they form a story from that forms their perspective. So my dad walks into my room. I'm 14 years old. I'm sitting on my bed and he says, flat out, son, we're moving and we're moving out of state. And I was like, what? Like I was stunned. I was devastated. I'm going from ninth grade, which is middle school or junior high in, in Southern California to high school, formative years of my life. And the story I told myself when my dad left the room was I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. And my dad doesn't love me. And that perspective that I formed from that day, from that experience, ultimately breaks me. So my dad uproots our family from beautiful Southern California, where it's like beaches, palm trees, awesome, SoCal to the hot desert of Arizona, cactus, desert, extreme heat. So when I reluctantly left all my childhood friends, I decided right there to make a decision. See, the decisions that we make on a daily basis forms the trajectory and direction of our life of where we go. So when I left my friends and moved to Arizona, I decided to become an overachiever through athletics. I made a commitment to not to not to go to the major leagues, but to get and prove that I was worthy enough of my parents' love and admiration of my father. So high school, uh, I become the number one soccer player in the state of Arizona. Wow. Like rocket it. I had chances to go play in Europe. I had chances to go to university, but my childhood dream in the 1980s, growing up in LA, a diehard Dodger fan is I'm going to the big leagues. I'd sit at the top deck, you know, five, six, seven, nine, 10 years old uh, and look down on the field. Like I'm going to play down there someday. I'm going to be down there someday. So I made my dream 
materialize as much as I could. I engage my senses. I'd hear the crack of the bat. I'd hear the roar of the crowd. I'd smell the grass and the, and, and the chatter of the crowd and then the energy. And I'd always imagine myself now batting number 29. Shay Hillenbrand through the PA speakers. And, and then I go home that night. I don't know how I did this, but I inherently did it. And I lay in bed and I just envision it because the number one tool that we have is visualization because our mind can't discern the difference between imagination and reality. Uh, so, so I just sat there like, I'm, I'm cashing million dollar paychecks. I sound like the movie, The Secret right now, but you know, <laughs> it wasn't that. Uh, like, like I imagine myself on ESPN, the bottom ticker, you know, Shea Hillenbrand, two for four, or Hillenbrand, whatever, uh, home run, this and that, and, and, and just being on that field. So um, I walked on at a local junior college after high school. And so did, you, only, did you play baseball in high school or you're just doing the soccer? I played baseball in high school and I was very average. Okay. I think I made all city. And obviously you want to make all state and all American. And I think I might've, I was thinking back yesterday. I think I might've hit just a tick over 300, which is like nothing in high school, really. Um, and I had nowhere to go. Like, like growing up, my dream was to play at Arizona state university. When I grew up in Southern California, I had an ASU watch, I had ASU shoes, like Sparky, the sun devil, all that stuff. And it's like, that was my dream, but I wasn't good enough. So I walked on at the local junior college out here in Arizona, and that's Mesa Community College. And the only reason I made the team is because my work ethic. I was the first guy there and the last guy to leave every single day. I knew nothing when I went there. And I was playing against guys that are like, oh my gosh, these guys are just amazing. They're so much better than me. But I had the work ethic. So after my sophomore season uh, playing junior college baseball, I became the number one junior college baseball player in the state of Arizona, give me the chance to be drafted by the Boston Red Sox. So growing up in the 1980s, a diehard Dodger fan, the consistency of a diehard Dodger fan, you can appreciate this because you're from the East Coast. Yeah. This is West Coast baseball. Sure. We show up in the third inning. We leave in the seventh inning to beat traffic, L.A. traffic, and we listen to Vince Scully on the radio. So the reason why I tell you that is because when I got drafted by the Red Sox at 20 years old, I told all my friends and family, I got drafted by the White Sox. They're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, you, you don't even know what team you got drafted by? Like the Red Sox, 1918. Like, like it's a nation, six states. It's crazy. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I always told everybody two things. I'm a Dodger fan. I don't know anything about baseball outside of LA, Dodger, Chavez, Ravine. And number two, I don't care what Sox it is. I'm going to the big leagues. So I go to spring training and uh, in five years in the minor leagues, I become player of the year for each of the teams I was on three of the five years. And in, two, in, in, in 2001, um, I'm hoping to make the AAA team, Pawtucket Red Sox, Pawtucket Red Sox as a starting catcher. I get drafted as a, as a shortstop. I couldn't cut it there, but I hit really well. So they moved me to first and the third and outfield and, and catcher and all that stuff. I just became malleable with my dream of the ultimate goal of becoming a major leaguer. See, so many of us out here, like we have a dream and goals set. And if we don't achieve those goals that we have set, we don't think our dream can come true. I thought I was going to go to the big leagues as a shortstop, but I lasted 10 games my first season of pro ball because I made 14 errors at shortstop. Wow. So like, it's crazy. So you have to be malleable. You have to be able to change direction. You have to be able to have setbacks and knockdowns and go from this direction to that direction and just keep going when everybody else quits. So I go to spring training, major league spring training, hoping to make the AAA roster as a starting catcher. 
And I just put my head down and I did five things. And these five things I'd like to share with your audience and, and whomever's listening is because the first thing that I did, I call them uh, five uh, un, un, unstoppable measures of, of, the, of the goal. These are non-negotiables, right? So the first thing is, is like, you have to be careful and be what you put into your mind. You have to train your mind. You have to be on guard of your mind because the weeds will grow or the fear will creep in and, and all the all the negativity and all the self-talk that's negative, it'll always be there. We have to override that by training our mind. The second thing I did is we have, you have to train your body, right? So you have to be in charge of, of, of your sleep patterns. You have to be in charge of how you work out and you have to be in charge of how you uh, put food in your mouth, how, how you eat. So, so you have to take care of your health. And the third thing is, is that, I always competed against myself. I played in the big leagues with some really good players, Hall of Famers, but I never competed against anybody else. We always have a vision of the greatest version of ourselves. And that's the only person you compete against. The fourth thing is resilience. You have to create resilience. If you want to talk about failure, talk to a major league baseball player. I fail and fail and fail every single night in front of millions of people, everybody's out there. If you don't know how to create resilience, that's going from failure to failure to create uh, persistence and then going from there to create resilience. Um, if you don't have that, you won't be able to sustain anything that you go to, to be able to accomplish that dream, that vision, those goals, or whatever you set out to do, whether it's in your personal life or your, your professional life. And the last thing is you have to be on guard of how you talk to yourself. You have to keep yourself accountable. Right. So many people uh, uh, use excuses in their current situation and, and saying this person. No, I had to keep myself accountable because once you get to that level, of the major leagues, nobody looks out for you. You have to look out for yourself because you're at such a high level of operating that the pressure there is so great that you lose yourself. And when you lose yourself, you begin playing a pain driven game. So I, I always kept myself accountable when I did good get the promises to myself. Then I celebrated those promises, received that dopamine release. But most importantly, if I didn't do what I said I'd do in preparation, not the results, because we can't control the results, but preparing. If I didn't do the things, whether it's taking a certain amount of reps in a cage, going to bed at a certain time, waking up, doing the things that I need to do on a daily basis to put myself in a position to give myself the best chance to succeed at what I was trying to achieve, I would kick myself in the butt. I would use it. Come on, Shay, you're better than this. Let's go. You need to do this and do this and do this. Not the end result. We always kick ourselves in the butt with the end result of whatever we're trying to achieve, but it's the daily little things, the small little things stacking on top of each other that put you in the position to where I led myself to the last day of spring training. And the manager calls me in the office. I'm like, sweet. I made it all the way through spring training. He's finally going to send me down so I can go to play AAA. I walk into his office, Jimmy Williams for the Red Sox, and he says, congratulations, son, you made this team. I was like, what? Wow. That's here, I am, here I am, the first Red Sox player to come from double A to the big leagues for 30 years, since the 1970s, and I made it. $120 million payroll. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Three days later. He calls me in the office again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already getting sent down. Like, he's not gonna like, give me at least one at bat in the big leagues. Let's go, man. This is my dream. He calls me in the office and he says, you're going to be my starting third baseman on opening day. I'm like, wow, all right. Yes, sir. Thank great. you. I left that office. Mind you, I came to the big leagues spring training as a catcher. I had no idea what I was doing. So over seven crazy memorable years playing major league baseball, I uh, became a two-time MLB All-Star. 
and I made tens of millions of dollars. I had anything and everything I ever wanted. I was flying private jets. I had multiple mansions. I have six automobiles. I have 300 pairs of shoes. I'm rocking it. I'm living the all-star lifestyle on top of the world, but I don't have fulfillment. I don't know who I am and I'm not able to own my life. So right there after my seventh year in the prime of my career, I make a decision. And this is the biggest decision of my life. I quit. I left $50 million of potential earnings on the table because I hated who I was because of that pain. That pain from that perspective that I formed at 14 years old. Yes, it drove me to the top. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. My dad doesn't love me. The negative talk that I had consistently ultimately broke me. So I convinced myself if I just come home and be the father to my three beautiful adopted children and I pursue my second childhood dream of owning a zoo, everything will be great. Everything will rock. So I just disappear. I purchase a $5 million horse farm. I accumulate 300 farm and exotic animals. I have camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas, monkeys, raccoons, two 800-pound uh, two pigs, Taco Bell, Gilbert, three-legged goats, blind horses. And I had a vision. I had a vision of rescuing and rehabilitating these animals and then putting them in a petting zoo environment and service inner city disabled children and child crisis children in my community through my nonprofit foundation against all odds. The feeling I received, the joy I received, witnessing those animals transform these lives daily was priceless, superseded anything I ever did on a major league baseball field. I was the first Red Sox player to hit a game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera at Fenway Park. I've done three home runs in one game. I've been in a perfect game, two no-hitters, all-star. I've rocked it. But what happened at that farm was life-altering for everybody involved. I'm bound to have fulfillment now. I'm bound to be able to get what I'm seeking now, but I didn't. See, what happened next is I found myself on the floor of a van, parked outside my ex-wife's house with my three adopted children an arm's distance away. It's 3 a.m. And I just had overdosed on drugs and alcohol. And here I am lying on the floor of this van, someone that so many people envy. My children are going to school telling all their friends, my dad played for the Diamondbacks because I live in Arizona. I'm barely scrounging up change from my cup holder to feed my kids Little Caesars pizza because I lost everything. I'm down to my last breath. And as the soul's leaving the top of my head and I'm clinging on to that last breath, you know what the thoughts were going through my mind are? You're a loser. You lost everything. What would your parents think if you left this world today, Shay? What, do you, what, what kind of dad would do this to his kids, Shay? My answer to that is, I don't know. I'm nothing if I don't have baseball. I was so tired of fighting that pain-driven game because when you go to the top, if you don't understand who you are, you attach your identity to what you do. My identity had become the name, the game. My, my name had become the game, my identity. So I let go. And I don't know if I died or if I fell asleep, but by the grace of God, the next day I woke up and I had no side effect, no nothing. And I had to make a decision right there, which was the hardest decision of my life of I got to do something. I got to take action. I have to gain momentum. I can't keep doing what I'm doing right now to expect a different result. I'm in a position right here where I have nobody around me but myself, and it hurt. So I just took one step in front of each other, left, right, left, starting back out at level one, starting back off of hitting off that batter's tee, not flying the private jets. And I had to take action. When you gain momentum in your life, because life is about momentum, you'll get rewarded. 
I showed up every day, regardless of how hard it was, regardless of how many times I didn't want to do it, regardless of how many times I wanted to give up and every excuse in the book, because I made, I made $20 million and I'm an all-star and I'm a superstar. I'd have little girls holding up signs in the stands saying, will you marry me, Shay? I do autograph signings for $10,000 an hour. And these little preteen girls are coming to the table, crying and shaking just because they get to meet me. How do you process that when you hate who you are? And you don't know who you are. You're able to cover up that void with the veil of being a celebrity and a major league baseball player. So when I created momentum, after I lost everything, I had no other choice. I got rewarded. Strategic people came into my life to provide me direction and accountability. I could hit a baseball with the best in the world. I don't know how to write a resume. I don't know how to carry on a conversation. I don't know how to generate revenue outside of what I did up there. I need to create a new identity. I need to rewrite my story. And then when I started getting momentum in my life and started doing things, I started getting rewarded and I started having self-esteem. See, self-esteem doesn't come from other people's opinion or what they think. It comes of what you think of yourself. Then I switched to the L, which is leveraging your language. It's like, okay, what are these conversations I'm having with myself? Because the most important conversation you'll ever have in your life is the conversation with yourself. Not God, not your spouse, not anybody else. It's with yourself. And that conversation that I was having with myself was a foundation of who I am or who I was. And it was negative. Then I switched into belief. I was like, man, I need to create a new belief system through this new identity outside of what I did. Because the most powerful force in human nature is for you to stay congruent to what you believe to be true about yourself. So I had to look in the mirror. And I said, Shay, what do you truly believe about yourself? And it wasn't really good. So I started getting credibility with myself, keeping myself accountable for myself. And then I started believing in myself and I started taking action. And what happened from there, it gave me access. It granted me access to a power in myself that was so far greater than anything I ever did or accomplished on a major league baseball field. And what that power did, it gave me my smile. I figured out who I was. That's, that's I understand awesome. who I am. Yeah, and through I that, I'm scaling to levels now and I'm using my story and I'm using my gifts and my talents and I'm using everything I've ever had. I'm in my service phase of my life. I'm 46 years old now. And every waking hour is what do I need to do to master a skill set to put myself apart, to be able to reach and speak to people. I have a, I have a branding company, a clothing company called a voice to the voiceless. When I was losing my farm, I was walking through my petting zoo and I had an audible voice come through my head and it said, Hey, use your voice to help other people find their voice. It just came in my mind. I was like, what do you mean? I don't even have my voice here. I'm crushing home runs in, in Yankee stadium and, and all this stuff. And I don't even know who I am. I didn't even have my voice. Cause I was always told if you just swing the bat, we'll find you a spot. And if you find you a spot, you'll go to the big leagues. You go to the big leagues, you'll make the money. You'll get the approval. You'll get the admiration and you'll get the love. None of that was true because none of that matters if you don't understand who you are. Yeah, that, this is, I mean, that's, that's a powerful story um, just all the way through. And I, um, I'm sure, like you've said, probably a lot of athletes kind of go through the same thing. But, you know, fortunately for you, you realized, you know, where you were at and, and came up with solutions to gather. So what kind of advice um, 
you know, you've said a lot there, but like, what kind of advice would you give to athletes? So, you know, a lot of, you mentioned some of the statistics to me earlier, but uh, these, these guys or, or women that finish the, their sporting careers and just don't know what to do. Like, how would you guide them into kind of finding what you found when, when you were done and, and found yourself, what would you say to them and help them to in their journey? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, and the thing that I want to share with anybody that's listening, doesn't have to be an athlete. Doesn't have, it could be anybody. For Shea Hillenbrand, the Major League Baseball player, when I went to the ballpark each and every night, I played on six different teams. I was a starter. I was really good at what I did. I had a hitting coach. I had a throwing coach. I had a fielding coach. I had a strength coach. I had a mental coach to work on the performance. We had a massage therapist. We had a chef. We had anything and everything we ever wanted. But whenever I left that ballpark each and every night in that car, nine times out of 10, I was by myself. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have somebody to help work on Shea Hillenbrand, the person. All my eggs were in one basket on Shea Hillenbrand, the, the performer. And when you do that, you set yourself up for disaster. That happens to so many of us men. I got to go have success. I have to go get status. I have to go provide. I have to do all these things, but we're never trained to understand who the heck we are. So we all talk about the what, but it's actually the who behind the what. Who are you? Oprah says at best, uh, you, you, you're in charge of filling yourself up and keeping yourself full. And you have to work harder on yourself than you do your job. See, the biggest battles that I ever faced were not the battles between the line on a major league baseball field, under the lights, on the ESPN, in front of the fans, eating popcorn. It was the battles internally that I was dealing with, with my internal language and how I navigated failure and how I saw my identity of who I am. So I lost all hunger for my dream. So you have to work harder on yourself. There's two people that we work with. If you're talking to a professional athlete, there's a performer and then there's a person, right? And being able to work on the person and develop the person and build the self-esteem and build something around not what you are, but what you, who you are, right? So that's going to make you a better performer. And then what you're going to do is you're going to put yourself in a position to leverage the platform that you have as a professional athlete to build a brand to build a, a following, to, to build businesses and enjoy yourself and not put so much pressure on yourself because so many of us, I say a high 90 percentile, we attach our identity to that because you pretty much have to sell your soul to the game because that's what's required to get to that level and not only get to that level, to stay and maintain that level and then from there to stay and maintain that level to have success and succeed and be one of the top in that space it becomes your identity. We have to have a team around us away from the field, mentors, a trusted core people that we can rely on, that we can be vulnerable with, and they can help use them as a resource. Those are the things that I, I stick to. And those are the things that I preach. And those are the things that the resources that we provide myself and my team to the athletes. Yeah. That's, and, and that, that, that's great. And uh, I, one of the things that, you know, we're trying to do is you know, we talk about alumni and that affinity relationship. Um, how has that played a factor um, with you as far as uh, kind of a two-part question? One being um, other alumni helping you, whether it be alumni from a school or other athletes potentially. And then the second part of that question is how in turn are you doing? You mentioned to me earlier about uh, going back to your school and, 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 you know, with the coach and working with the athletes. So kind of if you can, you know, hit both those areas of your experience from alumni working together and then your experience as an alumni helping others. 
Yeah, that's a, those are those are great questions. And uh, for Shea Hill, I, I can only give you my, my experience sure. and, and my perspective. And everybody has different perspectives because uh, they're made up differently with different backgrounds and and different upbringings and different challenges of what we deal with. But when I walked into that clubhouse, um, I had to look out for myself. And when you're at that level playing Major League Baseball, it's very difficult to be a team player because the person next to you has to look out for themselves. The chef has to look out for himself. The clubhouse guy, the trainers, uh, the coaches, they have to look out for themselves. And if they don't look out for their own back to do everything they can, uh, not many, nobody else will look out for your back. And when you get to that spot, I, I was struggling. I, I, I played the pain-driven game. So I did everything I could in my waking hours to work and master my craft so I could perform that night so I can continue to work on my job and not really rely. A lot of guys talk about uh, they missed the clubhouse. They missed the camaraderie. I didn't have camaraderie. I didn't have clubhouse. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, when, I, when, when I left the game, a lot of times when you leave, you're on your own. And a lot of people that are leaving the game or still in the game uh, that, that are maybe alumni or people uh, that you might be able to utilize as a resource, they're dealing with their own struggles, their own battles. So uh, more times than not, it's very challenging for them to be able to help you out. So I didn't have much help. There was, I think, uh, three people uh, that, that I went to to, to help. I, I didn't have any money. So I said, hey, man, can you help me out? And, and there was three strategic people that, that did help me out. But that's not where I needed help. I needed help with my identity. I needed help with the training, my foundation of who I am. See, see as a professional athlete, especially a major league baseball player, I have all the intangibles. I have all the skill sets to have success at anything I put my hands on. Like you don't, you don't get the, the training that you get on a major league baseball field with, with performing under pressure, navigating failure, being able to pivot, being able to make adjustments, be able to work in a team environment, all those things you don't get at a Ivy league school. You don't get with a prestigious education. You get that on a major league field in that environment. But if you don't understand your identity, you're not able to utilize those uh, intangibles and those skill sets when you exit that chapter of your life. See, there's always going to be a next, right? right. So there's always going to be a next. You're not going to be a professional athlete for your whole life. So it's like, but you're so scared because you do attach your identity to that. So me now, um, I'm doing everything I can to bring awareness around this situation and kind of help educate and equip uh, people like yourself to give you an understanding, like the player's perspective of what we truly are going through. Because a lot of us players have a difficult time being vulnerable, being transparent, because we view that as a weakness. You got to understand, right. I'm treated for one, like, and I use this term, like I'm treated like a guy, I'm a celebrity. And right. for two, everybody's coming for me for help. So for me to in turn, turn around and ask somebody else for help is the hardest thing for us to do. Yeah. And that, that's, that's rough. And, I, and like I said, that's kind of what we, we want to do. And, and do you see, is, is there a fraternity um, amongst athletes per se? So yeah, you played major league baseball, but do you see that common ground because of, um, you know, whether we talked a little about this before, but you know, whether you're a football player, a basketball player, a swimmer, a skier, golfer it is, do you foresee that in, in knowing other athletes in different sports is, do you see the kind of the similarities and, um, and wanting, you know, or, or hoping to be able to help each other from similar experiences? hundred percent. I did a podcast maybe a month and a half ago with a gal that won an Olympic gold in the last Olympics for swimming. She was on a relay team. And we're on this podcast 
with a, a former uh, professional football player that played like arena football and stuff like that. He was hosting it. And it was so interesting to see, okay, here is a type A male myself, and here is a female that I've never met. And you have this exact mindset. It was really interesting because when she said something, I could answer. I knew exactly what she was saying. I knew exactly what she was feeling. And then when I said something and when I'm talking, she's sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. That's it. That's it. Yep, yep, yep. So it doesn't matter what sport you do. It's competing and it's training that mindset, whether you're an entertainer, whether you're a successful CEO, whether you're in a secret service, whether you're uh, wherever that might be, it's all the same thing. It's training that mindset at such a high level that very few people in your mind could understand what you're going through. So you feel like you're kind of alienated. So if we could just bind together as, as a resource and like a community of a, of a soft place for people to land without judgment, without fear, without regret, without any of that stuff to help the transition to be able to go from this high level of performance. And then, okay, what would you like to do now? Because you have the skill sets and the training to do that. So let's work on your identity. Let's work on who you are. And I have an eight-week course that I put guys through that helps them do this stuff, the transition. It took me five years to transition with $20 million. I want to take that five-year average, like two to five-year average, and take it to the five to two months. Right. So, okay. You transition out. Boom. Come here, dude. I'll put you on. I feel like I have the defibrillators. I'm a paramedic on an ambulance. Like, boom, come here. I'll put you on life support. Just do this. Just train yourself with this. I'll help you with this. And we'll make you financially free in the first year to get you in this transition to go out there and live the next chapter of your life. But our identity, so many athletes, our identity is still attached to our previous chapter. And we never fully close that previous chapter because we don't want to. No, 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 no. I'm still that because I. I nothing if I don't have that. We got to understand, okay, let's close this one. I'm not a professional athlete anymore. I don't have to go back into the sport to be a coach and to be a resource and, and make myself a slave to the game unless I want to. I can go out and I can create abundance anywhere else that I choose to, but it starts with the inside with fighting those battles and having a resource and a guide to take you through that inner world. It's scary, man. It yeah, I, it seems like that there's a, you know, you've brought up a lot of, there's a lot of life lessons. I mean, you're, you know, going through sports and then taking those lessons and, 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 and that's exactly what you do now and putting them into other things. So there is life after sports and, you know, in, in your case, starting these different foundations, uh, which are awesome. And um, in that entrepreneurial thing, and I guess because of that, the drive, the practice, I, I ran cross country in high school and track and, and a little bit in college. And so, uh, different level. I mean, I didn't get to that high level, but uh, the hours that go into practicing and running and, and the sacrifices, and I know everything is different, but um, it, I can see that is um, one last question related to this. Is there, um, do you see a kind of a trust level, so to speak in, in athletes where let's take it in a lot of times you said it, it's all about like a lot of times for you, at least in other people, it, you're worried about yourself, but like, let's kind of fast forward um, and, and you're, maybe you're working on a business deal and I know you've done some investment real estate and all that. It, would there be that trust factor that you're talking to another athlete because you've had that similar experience? I mean, do they kind of get a, a leg up having that somewhat of an affinity with you? 
So what happened, and I'm so glad you asked that question because it's always glossed over by so many people. So that was, that, that's an amazing question. This is what it is right here. I'll tell you exactly what it is. A lot of people might not be able to put their finger on it, but when I played Major League Baseball, there's only one thing I feared. It wasn't a 101 mile an hour fastball. I wasn't playing in front of 100 million people at an all-star game. It wasn't the pressure nightly of going out there under the lights in front of the fans on TV, ESPN, with Stephen A. Smith talking trash about me because he's driving up ratings. It's not, not any of that stuff. The only thing I was scared of was myself. And the reason why I was scared of myself is because I didn't trust myself. So many athletes, put, professional athletes, put all their eggs in one basket as a performer, that they don't work on themselves, and they fear that they don't have enough self-confidence and self-esteem as a person. And it's so easy to hide that behind the veil of, I am this as a performer, that they don't trust themselves. So how can they inherently trust you or me or another resource they don't trust themselves. So we have to get them to trust themselves first. How do we do that? You have to keep a credibility with yourself. You have to get accountability with yourself. You have to keep the promises to yourself. So like with Major League Baseball, if you got a guy going through a slump, it's not change this, it's change that and change this. I don't have any confidence. I don't have any self-confidence. How do I get self-confidence? I keep the promise to myself. I say, I'm going to go out there and work and do the work. I just go do the work and I take delight in the work. I can't take delight in the, in the result. If I say, I'm going to do the studying of the, uh, of the video, if I say, I'm going to do this, keep those promises to yourself. And if you keep those promises to yourself over an extended, uh, an extended period of time, you will inherently gain self-esteem and self-worth. You just got to put the work in. So in that aspect, a lot of athletes, oh, I don't trust you because you're going to take advantage of me. And this guy's going to do this. And this guy's going to try to leverage this. I've given away over a million dollars to help people. I've given away cars. I bought people houses. I got my own brothers trying to say, you know, it must be nice to be you. I got this person coming at me and I got this person coming at me. And it's like, dude, I have to put a wall up. I can't trust anybody because I am like, a, I'm like a unicorn right? Like 20,000 people over a hundred year span, you have a better chance of winning a lottery than becoming a major league baseball all-star, right? So if you do that and you live in that space and everybody's coming at you and you don't trust yourself, it's not possible to provide that person a resource. You have to understand how to work inside them to get them to trust themselves. And then from there, and they have to make that commitment to do that. And then from there, now you can build up the resources and the accessibility to help them with whatever they're going through. Some players do it inherently. Some play, I, I'm thinking of like Sean Casey right now. I'm thinking of Tony Clark right now. I'm thinking of Russ Ortiz right now. I mean, there, there's players out there, but the vast majority of, of professional athletes, we struggle. I mean, I have story after story after story after story of, of, of guys that are just in really, really horrible situations that they had to go through while they're there. But you feel isolated. Yeah. You don't know what I'm going through, dude. You don't understand what it's like to be where I am. Well, yes, you do. And for two, you don't have to because it's right. all about the human experience, right? Yeah. And we're all universal. It's just a matter of understanding the steps that we need to take and the, the strategies we need to implement to put ourselves in a position to do the first step of the MLB mindset formula that I teach is we have to create momentum in our personal life, our professional life, and our private life. Personal life is ourself. Professional life is our job. And private life is our interpersonal relationships. So many of us men, especially athletes, we put everything in our professional life because if I don't have that, 
I'm going to lose this dream, this opportunity, all that stuff. So it's a very difficult road to navigate. So you might need someone that's been there and done it to be able to guide you through that process. Yeah, no, for sure. So now's, now's the part where I, I, I started at 30,000 feet. Now, now I give you your chance to plug and, and you've got it. I mean, this has been awesome. I mean, a lot of great uh, material and stored for people to, to watch. And I think learning experience, but kind of living through it, I, I think as a, you know, as a sports fan, you know, I think we're guilty of, um, you know, we see the games we watch, you know, we're fans of our teams, you know, we're happy when they're doing well, we're, we're aggravated and, and a lot more worse than that, throwing things at TVs, but um, it, it's good to get that perspective. So tell us a little bit about some of the things you're doing. And I, you mentioned about a lot of these foundations and the MLB mindset, um, kind of give us a, um, you know, a summary of these different areas and then, um, you know, tell everyone, you know, where they can find you, like whether your, your website or whatever, but uh, yeah, just start talking about some of those things and, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, um, what I'm doing now is everything revolving, every, all my business endeavors I have about uh, in, in the core of that is the MLB mindset formula, teaching people the MLB mindset, be able to scale to the top, leveraging the focus formula that I use to, to scale to be a two-time all-star and make tens of millions of dollars. But the MLB mindset formula revolves around three principles, momentum, language, and belief. These are three powerful principles that are irrefutable. We can argue religion, we can argue politics, we can argue sports, but you can't argue these three principles. If we understand how to uh, build a foundation around these three, we put ourselves in a position to start taking back control of our life. So with that, I'm doing speaking engagements. I'm speaking tonight. I'm speaking tomorrow, keynote speak. So everything revolves around that. And I have uh, retreats. I have masterminds, all those things to be able to equip people to help them get out of the way, especially in trying times like right now with COVID. There's so many people that have given up. Mental, mental illness has gone up 2,000, 2,300%. And it's just like, okay, what did I go through? What, what, what did I go through and the experiences that I had to be able to leverage those to be able to impact and add value to people's lives and just keep doing that and keep giving and keep doing that and keep giving. So uh, with that, uh, we're doing that. And then I'm helping major league baseball players, professional athletes with the transition, with supporting them through the process. But that's all revolving around like my lane is MLB mindset. My lane is momentum language belief. My lane is identity. I have the dream team around me. It might be better than the dream team of the basketball team that won the Olympics. Uh, these guys are absolute rock stars in their space, but we all share the same vision. We want to make impact. We want to help transform people and help them understand how to navigate this space that they're at. And then I have the nonprofit foundation against all odds. And that is working and helping with kids at the youth level. I just uh, helped coach a, a team from Canada in the Northwest this last weekend for four days um, in a perfect game tournament. And oh my gosh, man, this is, it's, there, there's a huge disconnect. So um, I have programs that we're launching through that to be able to support little league coaches, to support uh, the coaches and bridge that gap between the player and the coach. So now the coach is equipped, then the player is equipped to be able to communicate and to be able to work together because, you know, the new generation now thinks that, hey, I can make any decision I want and still go have success. And if you look at the, 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 the history and the, and the science behind it, that is impossible. You can't do that. It's not. So it's not about helping people will make the right decision. It's about making, not making the bad decision, right? So, so if you want to go do something and have success, uh, there's four things that we're in control of. We're in control of what we watch on TV when we get home at night or 
what we look at on our phone, uh, what we and the second thing we're in control of is what we listen to when we're in our car. I mean, I like country music and I used to love Eminem, the rapper, when I played Major League Baseball because but dang, man, that, that put me in a negative space. So you got to be careful what you listen to. The third thing is, is, is who you talk to on the phone. Right. We got to be very careful who we align ourselves and who we allow speak into our life, because that's going to help identify and form that belief system. What we believe to be true about ourselves inherently at a place that we don't know at a subconscious level. And the last thing is we have to be very careful of what comes out of our mouth. See, a negative thought is 10 times more than a, a positive thought. It's more powerful. And if you and if it comes out of your mouth, it's 4x to 7x that. So if you have a negative thought that comes up, I suck. I'm no good. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to get in a car accident. I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to yeah. make an error. That's 40 to 70% more powerful. So at the end of the day, don't say stupid stuff. <laughs> put yourself in a position to be on guard of what you put inside, how you consume information and go out there and just rock it. You can create and design the all-star life that you've always wanted to. And that's what I teach entrepreneurs, business professionals, top performers, whoever it is that's in a place to where they're hungry to go out there and want to commit to themselves and, and, and to this powerful formula that I teach. I mean, we'll rock it. I have the experience. As you can see, I have the energy. As you can Got see, a lot of energy. super passionate. Um, I, I, don't, I don't believe in motivation, but if you feel motivated right now, it's simply because I found my purpose and I, I put every waking hour, I got my earphones in nonstop. Sometimes I drive my wife nuts. I'm just constantly consuming, constantly training the skill sets. And those skill sets have utility. And I just go out there and deploy them. Let me share this real quick with you, how to navigate sure. failure. I want to share everybody how to navigate failure. If you want to understand how to navigate failure, talk to a major league baseball player. 2004, I'm playing for the D-backs. 580 plate appearances, I hit 310. If we do the math, and I was really bad at math in high school, I failed 400 times out of 580 times, and I was rocking it, making millions, one of the top 10 in Major League Baseball. Five guys in each league hit over 300. I think it's less than that now because everybody hits around 200 because everything has <laughs> changed. So the way you navigate failure Go from failure to failure and create that resilience in your life. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever you're at in any stage of your life is when you have a failure, you're going to receive a chemical reaction in your body. It's going to create an emotion. Oh my gosh, dang it. And then once I get that, it's going to create a chemical reaction in my body. That chemical takes 90 seconds to go through my body and dissipate. And then that failure is gone. So, so many people out there are 90 seconds away from the biggest breakthrough of their life, the biggest dream of their life for 30, 40 years, because they don't understand how to navigate failure. So we have to, for one, first step is you have to get back to your emotional center ASAP. I ground out. I go back to the dugout. I'm pretty frustrated because I just got out. I have to get back to my emotional center. I have to get back to homeostasis. I have to get back to my neutral. That's through breathing. That's through not allowing your thoughts spiral out of control. That's through distracting yourself. And then the, the second thing is after I get back to my emotional center, I have to analyze that failure. I have to analyze that experience. If I use a baseball as an analogy, if I got out, was I on time? Did I swing in a pit? Did I swing in a strike? Did it, was I relaxed? Where was my focus? You have to analyze that failure. Then once you analyze it and you, you gather intel data, you formulate a new plan. And then once you formulate a new plan, you have a new approach, deploy it. So it's failure, 
Get back to your emotional center, analyze, extract, deploy. Failure, get back to your emotional center, analyze, extract, deploy. If you do that, you'll go from failure to failure and you'll create resilience. And what happens is you gain self-confidence and self-worth. You create uh, consistency through the process. This, this is great. This is uh, Coach Hillebrand here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy that didn't have a voice. I didn't have a voice playing Major League Baseball. Uh, I couldn't now, talk now to you, anybody. Now you do, obviously. That's great. So <laughs> is, there, is there a website that people can find you on, or is it just, just different sites? Yeah, so uh, www.shayhillenbrand.tv, and then uh, it's MLB, mlbmindset.com. That's where you're going to find the program. That's where you're going to find me. That's where you could jump on a call with me to get yourself in a position to maybe see if we can work together, serve and support one another. But it's shayhillenbrand.tv. It's www.shayhillenbrand.tv, and then MLB, mlbmindset.com. Yeah, this and you can find been- me on socials. This has been great. It's been awesome talking to you. And, uh, you know, for all you out there, you know, we want to continue to do shows like this and have content. Um, you can find us at alumnidirect.com. And as I mentioned, it's all for us. It's about helping people and finding the right content for alumni, whether you're athletes, whether you're alumni from a college or university, business alumni, uh, check us out. and We'll continue to find ways to help you. So thank you so much, everybody. Thank you.